TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy the TDN Podcast. Fantasy Podcast. With your host, Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome into the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and guess who's back? Our guy, Jake Arians. He's on the uh, he's on the IR. All right, he's still not available to show up for for any kicking opportunities, as we joked in the earlier podcast. But he is on the podcast, Jake. Still not draftable. Yeah, he's still not draftable. Right? Still not draftable. Sure. Still not still not draftable. Uh, but Jake, welcome back. We're happy to have you here, and happy that your surgery went well. So things are all things are all good and back to normal in TDN fantasy land. So. With that said, let's get into some big news that has happened since the last podcast. This this news, of course, as always happens, uh, we finish recording the podcast and then something big happens because that's just the rules. That's how this happened. So on Wednesday, after we recorded our podcast, shortly after Ian Rappaport reported that at this point, Chargers running back Melvin Gordon's holdout is expected to continue into the season. Sources say contract talks have not progressed as he hoped, and he'll continue to train in Florida for the foreseeable future. So knowing that guy, Guys, obviously, this is the first kind of actual report that's happened in quite some time on this news. Uh, not great, obviously, if you're a Chargers fan. Not great if you are drafted Melvin Gordon or are looking to draft Melvin Gordon. So, Jake, I'll go to you here first. What is your level of concern here now? Because obviously, we know that Rap Sheet has good sources, and this could continue into the season is not exactly a great report to read. No, and it looks like it's definitely going to continue into the season. So my concern is very high. Uh, going through the mock draft now, fantasy-wise, he's dropping in the fourth and fifth round. And it's hard to take him because I still think he's going to be playing somewhere else. I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to cave and come in on this current contract in, in, uh, in L.A. So if that's the case and he does get traded somewhere else, you're talking probably week three before he's acclimated until he could be the same player. Now it's very risky if you're taking him anywhere above round five or six because he's sitting on your bench for at least three or four weeks, right? Yeah. No, you have to assume that at this point if it's going to bleed into the season. And and you've said from the very beginning you do not think that he plays in a Chargers uniform, and that looks even more uh, likely now as if he continues to hold out in the season and almost force their hand to trade him. Jamie, you're a big Melvin Gordon fan, as am I. What are your what, where would you feel comfortable drafting him, right? Because that's the question here. A lot of people want to know if Jamie Eisner and Paige Demacos and Jake Arians are in a draft and he's there in the insert this round, that is okay to take a risk, knowing that you do not know when he will be playing football. I mean, to me, it's I'm gonna have to take a deeper dive from this over the weekend and on Monday for my final preseason rankings that will come out on the draft network on Tuesday, but I mean, off the top of my head now, it, it's got to be like in the sixth round plus. I mean, you, yeah. the way I try to come, uh, you know, to put it into its own little box is I, how many games do I think he's going to miss? And let's pretend he's suspended. So I think at this point, I would operate as if Melvin Gordon was suspended the first four games of the regular season. That, I think that is a safe assumption to make. So wherever you had him before, which he would have been my number five overall player, where would I take a guy like that if I think he's going to miss four games? I also have to consider that he might not be playing in L.A., and there's a strong chance that he might not be playing in L.A. when he does that. So what is the situation going to look like when he gets there? How long is it going to take him to get up? Because let's say he plays in week five. Well, he might not actually get a full workload till week seven or week eight. So to me, I already want to have my, my two starting running backs, my two, at least two starting receivers of flex play. And then at that point, I would take a chance on him saying, okay, 
I'm basically taking a shot at my flex spot or at my first bench spot and saying, we'll see what happens. But any earlier than that, I just, I don't know if, I don't know what you're going to get. I'm not going to feel comfortable. Yeah. I mean, let me ask you this, Jamie. I'm kind of at the point in, in doing a bunch of these mock drafts now where I'm seeing, okay, my first bench running back is Darius Geis. It's David Montgomery. Um, you know, some of these guys that we're not really counting on a ton and, and you're like, or it's, do I take the flyer on Melvin Gordon? But right now it's still in the fifth round. And I agree with you. I don't think you can do it until the sixth. I don't think you could plug him into your flex spot. Now, if you get him and that happens and he's somewhere else later on, it's going to be a home run. But I think it's just so risky right now not to take one of these other guys, especially when they're starters. Chris Carson's another one of those guys that's floating around right there in that fifth round uh, in some of these 10-man leagues. And you're just like, you got to take the guy that's going to get the ball. Yeah, I mean, you ha- you have to. And right in my latest rankings, I dropped Gordon down to my, my RB20. I think he's probably going to be more like my RB29 going into next week. And, you know, I- I'm going to pull up my rankings here and see I- exactly where I have uh, my RB29 going. So, But that's kind of how you have to look at him now. He is a flex option. Uh, he is no longer an RB2. So uh, that wherever you're really starting to look at flex options at the position, that's where you're going to start to take him. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's a it's a concerning thing here because that's that we're getting a, a, a lot of questions, and I want to continue to tell you guys if you have questions, you can send them to any of us individually or especially to the at TDN Fantasy underscore podcast on Twitter. We're doing our best. We've had a lot of engagement and people hitting us up about who they feel most comfortable with um, and and who they want to draft. The two glaringly most obvious tweeted in uh, things that we are getting right now is Ezekiel Elliott and Melvin Gordon. Right, because people want to have somebody give them a justification for taking these guys when you know there is a lot of risk. So the the other person, obviously being Ezekiel Elliott here, has been offered a contract that would make him the second highest paid running back in the league. Here's my opinion. If you are holding out, you are not holding out to become the second highest paid guy, right? I, I can't imagine that this is the contract that gets it done. But Jamie is it a good step forward? Are you feeling more confident now that there's officially been something on the table? Um, does this not matter at all in your evaluation? Where are you sitting with this latest in the, you know step in the Ezekiel Elliott saga? I don't think the contract part matters at all. There was always going to be something on the table and something that both sides didn't agree to, which is why we're in this situation. You know, we, we've heard rumblings here and there that, oh, a deal's going to get done within 72 hours or things are looking better now. Uh, and then today you get up and you see he's now back in Cabo where Marshall Falk trying to train. To me, I, 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 look, we, we, I've been doing some stuff. If you check out Bull Market Fantasy, for example, Jim Cramer from Mad Money, he took Zeke with the number four overall pick. I have a buddy that we talked about on our show on Wednesday that's probably going to take Zeke with the number four overall pick. I can't do that. To me, he's a late second rounder at best for me. I think it's worth taking the risk there. Uh, just be, but because of his upside, because I think his upside is number one overall player in fantasy. But otherwise, like I just, I'm gonna let him be somebody else's problem. I, I I'm just not confident because one, you're gonna have to overdraft Tony Pollard if you do that, and two, I just don't know when he's gonna get back up to speed. Because let's say he's on the field, let's say week two, he's not gonna get 20 touches in week two. It might be week three or week four till you get it. So you have to basically be willing to say that even in the best case scenarios, I'm not going to get a full season and a full workload out of Ezekiel Elliott. It's funny you mentioned number four. I was about to ask you, I just picked four in a, in a draft and I took Le'Veon Bell because Zeke went third. And I, I don't know what you do it for at this point. David Johnson scares me. There's, it's like, 
If you pick one, two, or three, then you know you got Saquon, McCaffrey, and Kamara. But then it's like, what the hell do you do it for at this point? And you're almost better off picking like eighth. Like this is yeah. getting really, really interesting. My my concern is, and I disagree with Jamie a little bit. I think the money being on the table at the, as the number two highest paid running back is is big, because I know he's holding out to be number one. But Le'Veon Bell threw a skew in that whole thing, uh, and Todd Gurley money last year. David Johnson up there getting paid. Um, Zeke wants a longer-term deal than that, I think, is more important than being the highest-paid, most guaranteed money. So they could stretch that out a little bit. I don't think that he's going to miss – I don't think it's week two before he gets 20 touches. If this thing gets done next week, I think he comes in he has 20 touches in week one, which makes him a little bit higher draftable for me. But not if like, – it still scares the hell out of me. It's four that we're talking about. Yeah, four Four is, as we've discussed, talent-wise, t- top three, not not questionable, but he's still not signed, people. So take him at your own – you have to understand the risk when you're when you're going after these guys. Look at it. It's risk-reward. If you're at the fourth or fifth spot and you take Zeke and he's there week one, you're going to look back and go, hell yeah, it's going to be a home run for you, right? Because he would have been gone in the first couple spots ahead of that. But if he's not there and he misses a couple weeks or something happens and this doesn't get done – uh, it's it's too much of a risk for me. I'm with Jamie. I, I, I don't want him to be my problem. Uh, okay, a couple of preseason things that happened, and unfortunately a couple of bad things, right? All of us on this podcast were worried about Cam Newton and his shoulder. He goes in preseason game three on Thursday night and injures his foot. It's officially a mid-foot sprain. Uh, big news here because Cam – Listen, this guy, for whatever reason, and we know how he plays, right? He's always, he plays very tough on himself. He's a big guy. He takes a lot of hits. And this is worst case scenario for, for Cam Newton, for this football team, that he injures himself in a preseason game, right? So for all you fans, okay, I'm looking at you Packer fans that were losing their minds last night that you didn't see Aaron Rodgers, okay? Just keep in mind, okay, what you're the same people that would freak out if your player got hurt in the preseason, okay? So it's it, this is not a great scenario here. And and we we love Christian McCaffrey, right? There's a lot of a lot of other pieces that that we like on this team. I'll go to you first, James. If if knowing that this, you know, they say likely for week one, right? But not they're not guaranteeing he's going to be out there week one because this is obviously we're two weeks away now from kickoff. And keep what in mind, week two is Thursday night, four days later. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Keeping that exactly, it's looking like timetable wise, that's not a great start for them, right? The the first two games he could potentially be sitting out and not watching Cam Newton. How concerned are you from a fantasy perspective about if you've drafted Cam Newton and where do you evaluate him now? Well, I don't know. I mean, he's been one of the toughest guys to evaluate all offseason because of the, the shoulder issues that he had late in the season in the offseason coming into camp. Then he started to look good and kind of moved up my rankings. He's still in that like mix at the back end of the QB1 you know, range where you have Wentz and you have Goff and you have – Ben Roethlisberger and you have Cam Newton, like they're all in that range where you're getting two of those guys and you take a chance. He probably moves to the back of that range right now. Uh, he's going to probably be behind all of those guys for me in my updated rankings because you have to look at it that he's got a, you know, he's got a, what, a 50% chance probably of missing the first two games and maybe a little bit higher of missing the first game. And it's got to concern you if you're, you know, a DJ, a DJ Moore owner or a Curtis Samuel owner, that's got to scare you because I don't think Will Greer is going to put up, especially right away, those sort of numbers. With McCaffrey, I mean, you're taking McCaffrey in the top three, period. I mean, there's just such a massive drop-off after there that, I mean, almost anything can happen and you're still going to take those guys in the top three. But 
boy, it just it's it's things just do not seem to be going well uh, if you own a lot of Panthers right now. No, I mean, it, it concerns me a little bit for McCaffrey. I agree with you. You still have to take him because he's going top three regardless. Uh, but I tell you, what, the other thing that concerns me with Cam Newton is his left foot, which is his plant foot. He's coming off of a shoulder injury. And if he can't plant that foot the way that he wants to, that shoulder's liable to tweak again. I'm taking him off my board, period. I have way more concern with drafting Cam Newton. When I'm getting Carson Wentz in the ninth and Ben Roethlisberger in the 11th, and that's my two quarterbacks, or I'm getting Jameis Winston in the 10th and I'm getting Kirk Cousins in the 12th, I am really happy with that. I'm not touching Cam Newton with a 10-foot pole. I don't want anybody on that team right now because I don't know what you're going to get from Will Greer other than Christian McCaffrey. I'm not taking Curtis Samuel. I'm not taking DJ Moore. I'm not taking any of them because I don't think he – even if this foot to me is going to be a bigger deal, not necessarily his mobility, but putting pressure on that shoulder. And another thing is he's getting older, guys. Yeah. He's taking a lot of hits. When you start tweaking a foot, when you're just running around in a preseason game, that stuff – I mean, look at Michael Vick. When he started finally getting caught – and he was a step slower. He wasn't the same guy. Now, he's not the same size as Cam, but Cam takes a lot of hits. And that's his game. He wants to stay out there and play and make those plays. But if that foot's not right, and that means that shoulder's not going to be right, I don't want any part of that. Yeah, it's unfortunate because Cam, obviously, this is another injury, right? We were concerned about a separate injury, and then he gets a, a different injury risk, right? So you've got multiple injuries. We know the shoulder stuff. Now we've got this foot stuff. I'm with Jamie in the in the McCaffrey cat. I don't. I, I leave McCaffrey in the top three. I don't think it matters. But everybody else, it's a little hard to evaluate because we don't know what we will see. We don't know what that offense is going to look like without Cam Newton and those other guys. And Curtis Samuel has been a guy that a lot of people like, DJ Moore potentially. But that offense is not going to look the same without Cam, and we know that for sure. Uh, the other set of bad news here is obviously Jordan Reed gets a, gets a concussion on a nasty hit last night in, in preseason. Listen, guys, I don't think any of us had Jordan Reed as a, as a top-tier tight end, but he is a guy that people were grabbing late um, or potentially thinking about having two tight ends and streaming him at, at times. Jake, your thoughts on Jordan Reed and, and, and another concussion, and is he like undraftable basically at this point? Yeah, I think he is at this point. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. If you wanted to take him late as your second guy and you wanted to match up in certain weeks when he's healthy, he puts numbers up. But the biggest question is he's never healthy. He has a concussion history, has other injuries. I, I couldn't touch him at all at this point. And don't be surprised if this lasts four to six weeks. He's had so many of them at this point. they got to be careful when they put him back out there. If he misses any time at all, I don't think he's draftable, period. Yeah, you could see he was really torn up. He was really upset last night after the – because he knows, right? He knows, and it's unfortunate because he's super talented um, and, and is, when he is out there, very productive. Jamie, are you in agreement? Are you are you – out on on Jordan Reed as as of now. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to be. I mean, I believe this is his fourth confirmed concussion. Yeah, uh, he's got a, an extended injury history that goes well beyond the concussions. It goes to the other soft tissue and stuff that he's had to deal with. Look, he's been productive when he's on the field, but he's just not been on the field very much. And at, at this point, with all of the the various tight end options you have outside of the top twelve, there's really no reason to invest draft capital into him. Yeah, no, total total agreement. Uh, listen, we have a couple of good preseason takeaways that I wanted to get to. The first one, and then you guys can uh, let me know if you saw anything else you want to talk about. But Darius Geis, obviously somebody everybody was excited to see last year out there, healthy, playing in the preseason, looked pretty good, had a couple of nice plays. Um, your guys' thoughts on preseason in general, obviously it's week three, so this is kind of the timetable where we see a little bit of what we're going to see from starters, if any. Um, was there anything else that stood out to you? Jamie, I'll go to you first. 
Well, I mean, it's not really a fantasy thing, but I think I need to talk about how the NFL can't seem to figure out how to send people to these sites yeah. far enough in advance to make sure the field's okay. I mean, you're so a billion-dollar organization, and you you can't figure out that, hey, we need to move the goalposts. So that might create a hole in the end zone. I mean, it just it, that, that stuff just is mind-blowing to me. But we do this every every year with the Hall of Fame game and with move games elsewhere. I, I, I understand it's a logistical nightmare to move all this stuff, but the NFL has a ton of money and a ton of prestige. They can make sure some of these places are at least worthy of being played on before they send people there. Yeah, I got a good fix. Don't go to those places until you figure it out. Like it's this is it happens every year. We had a Mexico City game canceled last year. Uh, you know, I know a ton of fans in Canada were really upset and disappointed because they were looking forward to potentially seeing some of those starters. But if you're if you're a head coach there, if you're Matt Lafleur, you can't take a risk to start any of your guys when this was the situation heading into the game. I mean, it's not worth it. You already have injury risk with Aaron Rodgers. So I I understood why he did that. I saw a ton of people upset on social media about it, but the reality is his job is completely and solely changes if Aaron Rodgers is not out there. And if Rodgers went out there and got injured because something was funky with the field, it would not have been good for him and, and that organization. Jake, any takeaways on, on preseason? Yeah, it's not a, it's not a billion dollar league. It's a ten billion dollar annual league. Yeah. there's a big difference. Uh, one of the takeaways for me is pump your brakes. I, I love I love that Darius guys look good. To go back to your comment, pump your brakes a little bit. It is an ACL, so I think they're going to have to limit how much. But he looked good. He didn't look like he was favoring it. He runs hard. I love the player coming out of college. Without the ACL, man, I thought he was going to be a superstar. Uh, so he's back into my my draftable bench running backs now. Where I didn't really want a guy coming off an ACL. Uh, one thing I really want to caution people on is Kyler Murray. Yeah, I picked him to be my rookie of the year, and, and we all kind of agreed that it's really his to lose. That doesn't mean he needs to be going right after Matt Ryan and your fantasy drafts, people. He's going ahead of Russell Wilson. He's going ahead of Drew Brees. It is mind-boggling to me the type of season that people think he's going to have. They just signed Michael Crabtree, another veteran receiver that can't run, who's a possession guy. Larry Fitzgerald, who we all love. He can't run anymore. He has to play a very unique role. And you just signed another guy. So what does that say about their young guys? Andy Isabella, some of these guys have looked pretty good in the preseason, but they're not counting on him enough that they just went and signed Michael Crabtree? Like, what do you really think you're going to get from Kyler Murray where he's going in the eighth round right behind Deshaun Watson and and Matt Ryan in fantasy drafts? That's insanity, people. Yeah, I, I think like, – I- Do not take him in the seventh or eighth round. Load your bench with better players and take those run at that quarterbacks we're talking about if you're taking Ben Roethlisberger or Jameis Winston in the 10th and you're taking uh, Kirk Cousins in the 12th, you're happy as you can be. Don't risk taking him in the 7th or 8th round. And I don't think he's going to play all 16 games. By the way, he hasn't been the best quarterback on his team in the first two preseason games we watched. Oh, it's good to have you back, man. Do you have any thoughts about Kyler or what? I mean, the, the thing is... I, I love the kid. And I think <laughs> I said they're going to be the most exciting 4-12 and 12 team ever. Yeah. They're their must-watch. But don't take him in the eighth round as your freaking quarterback. It's nuts. Last night, my boyfriend Jordan is drafting, okay? And he looks over at me. And keep in mind, we live in Arizona, okay? So if there is going to be people that are on the hype train, like, it would have been him. None of his friends are, are living in Arizona. The seventh round, seventh round. Somebody drafts Kyler. Mind you, Russell Wilson was available. Ben Roethlisberger, Jameis Winston, Kirk Cousins. I think the only three that had gone off the board at that, Matt Ryan was still available. He got drafted as the fourth overall quarterback. To me, that how is the, the expectations? 
those are that's not through the roof. That's un, unimaginable that he's going to get to that point. I don't know if you guys have seen this wide receiver room and all of us being down on David Johnson has to concern you for Kyler Murray. Nothing that you've seen in preseason has made you think that this team is going to light it up by any means. The Raiders dialed it up, and they took care of that offense. That offensive line looked terrible, and Kyler Murray could not move the ball. Hey, hey, who, who, who did? The Oakland Raiders, who has no pass rush. Yes, yes who have yes, no exactly. pass rush and no defense. What is going to happen when they're playing much better teams? But, but, the answer, but the answer was, we're so vanilla right now. Wait till week one when we open it up. Yeah, uh, if you no. believe that there's that much of a difference between calling vanilla plays and not being able to execute them, and then game planning in week one, so you're taking him in the seventh round. Good on you, but that means you don't listen to this show very much, and you're going to get your ass kicked in every game you play in your fantasy league. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It's people are drafting for the one half of one percent chance that Kyler Murray is this unbelievable rookie sensation that's going to put up these historic rushing numbers that that's what people are drafting instead of being somewhere near reality, which is that he's probably going to have a decent season and not finish among the top 12 quarterbacks, which is what happened. If he runs that much, Jamie, he finished in 10 games. No, I I played with Michael Vick people. He is not Michael Vick. I will stand on that till the day I die. He is an elite player. He's an elite runner. Michael Vick got caught. He wasn't fast enough every week. And by the way, he played an old school turf. Not new school turf. Have you watched Kyler Murray? He hadn't, he hadn't made the corner yet. Yeah, I. He runs that much, he's not making it out of 10 games, which will be a huge disappointment to this team because I think he's going to be exciting. I'm excited to watch him play. I'm just saying, this is nuts where I see him going all these mock drafts. No, and the organization is telling him for the betterment of this team and the future of this team, he cannot run around like he did at Oklahoma because it will not ha- he will not last, as Jake is saying. So you have to understand that when you're projecting him out in fantasy, if you don't love his his wide receiver room, you must think that he's going to rush for a, a, a thousand yards. I, I mean, that's that. Those are the ridiculous numbers that I've seen put out. And I know Jamie and I have talked about. We've all talked about it on the podcast. But last night, seeing the seventh round for Kyler, I, I just I, I would I would maybe be able to justify it if we had seen like absolute ridiculousness in the preseason, right? Like I would kind of understand You still couldn't. You still couldn't. You still couldn't justify taking him over Matt Ryan in the seventh round. There's no way. I don't care what you would have seen. I said Daniel Jones right now, I'd take over Kyler Murray in that offense. That's another thing I've noticed this preseason that needs to be talked about. You can say whatever you want, and we've all said it about where they drafted him sixth. That was nuts. That son of a gun has looked fantastic. Accurate, decision-making, deep ball, toughness, Anything anybody would have questioned about that kid, he's not the sixth overall pick. Don't even come at me with that crap. But he has looked damn good. And he's looked a hell of a lot better than Kyler Murray has. I'm here for the inevitable chaos that will ensue if Daniel Jones looks great and Kyler Murray does not. The NFL community will literally lose its minds, and it will be awesome. So I'm here for chaos. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying in preseason, that's a takeaway. I'm I'm just saying I'm here for the chaos. Uh, Guys, we're going to answer a question here uh, before we get into our college football uh, win totals that we have Benjamin Solak joining us for. So here's a quick question before we get into that. This one comes from Sam Burns. Uh, He's in a two-quarterback league, which is why I wanted to get to this question because I've gotten a couple of different 
questions on two QB leagues and our evaluation of when we would take a guy like Mahomes, right? Because it changes. Our, our weight on quarterback strategy is different if you're in a two quarterback league. So this question is, I'm in a, my first two QB league picking at the turn, a 10 team half point PPR. What is the earliest that I should take Mahomes? Jamie, what's your answer here? Uh, you probably should take Mahomes at the turn there. Uh, if, if, you, if you're going to, if you're locked in on saying that's the guy I want, I think he's going to be the number one quarterback in fantasy, and that's that's going to be the guy. Then you take him there at the turn because you're going to start to see in that second and third round that a lot of quarterbacks are going to be off the board between then and when you pick next. So if if you're just locked in and you're not going to be, hey, I'm going to take two guys in the top twenty or two guys in the top fifteen, I'm going to get the number one guy. You're going to have to take him there at the turn. If, yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, he's he's probably not going to be there any later. But what strategy wise, what would you what would you what would you rather do, right? Because I don't think either one of you feels comfortable. I know I wouldn't feel comfortable taking him that early. I'd rather wait and get two other quarterbacks. What would a a good strategy potentially be going in here? And and when would you start taking potentially one of your your first guy, your first quarterback, Jamie? I mean, for me, you're going to have to start in round three. I mean, it's going to turn around real quickly for you because. You're in a very dangerous spot. Luckily, you're in a 10-team league and not a 12- or 14-team league because in those leagues, people are going to be playing non-starters because of the way things have to work there. You're going to actually have to play. If you're in a true two-QB league, there's not going to be enough guys to go around at some point. Uh, But in this case, you'll be able to grab three quarterbacks off your roster, three starters, and and you'll be okay. But yeah, I mean, right around round three is when you're going to have to start considering the Matt Ryans, the Baker Mayfields, the Andrew Lux of the world. Uh, I mean, in a lot of places, Mahomes is going like in the top five. So, I mean, if you want to get him at the turn and he's still there, then get him. But I don't know if he's going to even be there at that point. Yeah, I mean, that's all that needs to be said. Jamie's, Jamie's hit the nail on the head with all that. I, I agree with all of that stuff. Two quarterback leagues are tough. So you got to get your starter early, but or you're not your starter, but you want your, you know, your better player early, and then you hope you get another one late. But it, it totally changes your draft technique. Uh, and – I'm not against taking one high if you like them that much. Yeah, I played in my my first two quarterback league last year. Uh, I had a lot of fun in it um, with Yahoo Sports guys and 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 gals, and it was fun. But I I would advise I would tell your commissioner not to play in two quarterback leagues. I like the traditional approach. I like the uh, I I know Jamie and I got got waxed with a uh, we we called standard leagues I think dinosaur leagues on our last podcast, yeah. and somebody somebody got somebody got after us about calling them that but listen I like half point PPR I, I think is the best version of fantasy um that's what I enjoy playing in a one quarterback league just because two, two quarterback leagues is a little much for me uh listen guys we we've gotten through all of our fantasy stuff we have some great stuff coming for you college football over unders with Benjamin Solak stay tuned listen up and 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 hopefully you can get in on week zero action because we actually have college football that matters All right, guys, as promised, I told you we would bring in a college football gambling expert this weekend, and that is Benjamin Solak of – I called him Benjamin on purpose because he told us that he didn't want to be called Benjamin, so obviously I went there. It's Ben, okay? Let's be real. Um, We're on first-name basis. It's Ben Solak of the Draft Network. You guys can read his column every Friday, Would You Rather. Uh, We got week zero betting lines to get into. We got team totals to get into. Ben, first and foremost, welcome to your first appearance on the TDN Fantasy Podcast. 
Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I've used your fantasy stuff for a while now, in large part because I'm very bad at fantasy and regularly forget <laughs> to do the necessary work before like big time decisions come. So all of a sudden I need to make choices. I'm like, well, oh, well, if only I knew people I trust who have like top 400 rankings to just solve this problem for me. So I'm glad to be on. Uh, that is what we're here for, Ben. Uh, but we are not talking fantasy with you. We are talking college football betting lines. And specifically, we are going to get into week zero. Uh, we got two football games, real football games, guys. Football games that count. So we are very excited. I know there have been people that are probably, and probably a significant amount of people betting on preseason. But these are two college football games that we have going on this weekend. So, Ben, I'll go to you first here because you have a lock of the week. So let's talk about that Arizona-Hawaii game and what you like in that game. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm very interested to see what happens with this lock of the week because if I get it right, then cool. If I don't, I'm going to claim it was week zero and I had to have a lock of the week and there's only two games, so it's not even fair <laughs> that I have to lock one of these in. So I don't, I don't, I don't love this line. I don't feel great about it, but I, I'm, I'm kind of there. The Arizona Wildcats first year with Kevin Sumlin come out the gate with BYU and Houston, uh, two teams who overperformed expectations by the end of 2018. But in the beginning, we didn't know that. They end up losing a tight one to BYU and then just getting blown out the water by Houston. It's a really inglorious beginning to the the Sumlin era in Arizona. Now, the team got a little bit better as the season started to go on. Khalil Tate ends up going down with injury, and that ankle injury nags him all year. All of a sudden, you have one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks in the league, a dark horse Heisman contender. He was plus 1,400 at the Heisman in 2018, I know, because I lost money on it. Uh, He loses that ankle injury. He loses the mobility. And all of a sudden, we have a pocket passer. And that's not Tate's game. It never has been. And so that was a big story behind why Arizona struggled. As the season progressed, however, they end the last five games 3-1-1 against the spread. They end up 5-7. and But you look at that last game against Arizona State where they end up losing by a point. If one ball flips one different direction in a very close game late, this team is a six-win team. They're an automatic bowl qualifier. They probably end up 7-6. and So it's a completely different look. If you just change one play, it's a positive win. It's a bowl game. And that means the numbers on this 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 team are treated differently. A lot of opening season models use bowl games versus non-bowl games in terms of who made it to predict lines. And, and Arizona didn't make a bowl, but they're right there on that cusp. It's a bit of a lie. It's a bit of a misnomer. Meanwhile, you have the, the Rainbow Warriors who also dealt with injury to their starting quarterback in Cole McDonald last year. But this team started really hot against teams that ended up being really bad. You know, they went and it killed Colorado State. We thought Navy was going to be good. Navy was god-awful in 2018. So they end up generating a lot of hype off the first year in the run-and-shoot with Nick Rolovich as the head coach. Now it's a year's worth of film on the run-and-shoot. Defenses are going to be more prepared to handle the system. And as the season went on, this team actually faded against the stretch. Rolovich as the head coach for the Rainbow Warriors is bad at home as a home dog. He struggles in those situations. It's not a huge home field advantage you get in Hawaii and people get worried about the time zone change, but it's the opening week of the season. So there's no attrition on Arizona. So that doesn't affect things as much. Arizona minus 11, probably going to be a real high scoring game. Neither defense can be able to stop the opposing offense, but Arizona just has significantly better athletes across the board. So the pick here, Arizona minus 11. Jamie, as as the two people that reside in Arizona, we love ourselves some Pac-12 after dark, right? We love some late night. This is a 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time game. This game's not going to – this game's going to be over at like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. Jamie, do you like the Arizona minus 11 line, or which way are you leaning in, in this game? 
I don't love the spread either way because I think you can make an argument on both sides here uh, in terms of I, – I usually like when Hawaii is getting double-digit points on the island, but I just think Arizona is going to be too good and that offense is going to be too good. To me, I like the over in this game. I already have money on the over. I got it at 71. It's been rising. I think I saw it at 74 last night. It's at 74.5 some places. I'm with Ben here. I don't see these defenses stopping anybody. I think we've completely forgotten about Khalil Tate. I think that he has been written off nationally and people have forgotten how hurt he was last year and how that completely changed the way he plays. He's healthy. I believe the, I think 80% of their offensive line returns from last year, which is a, a huge factor for a quarterback and staying healthy mm-hmm. and putting up production. I really like this Arizona offense and look, Hawaii is going to be put up some points. They're going to be down, I think in this game pretty quickly and they're just going to start slinging it around the field. I'm not comfortable taking a, a line of 11 either way, but I, if you can find – I mean, right now the over is so high. If you got the over at 70 or 71, you're in good shape. If it's 74, right. 74 and a half, I'm starting to get a little nervous there. But if I had to play one thing, it would be the over on the total in this game. Yeah, yeah I'm we not love- touching the over at 74. It worries me, but the juice on, on the line has been nuts. Over 90% of the money is on the over on this game, which is – that's such a week zero phenomenon. Over 90% <laughs> of the money on points. I mean, Arizona, Hawaii's good teams have been on, but still, it's – people are thirsting for it. And that's why you can really attack – uh, you know, uh, market inefficiencies early because betters are over aggressive in the early weeks. It's been so long since they've had to bet college football. Yeah, people are just excited, right? It, it's week zero, and and people have to have to get in on the action, and that's why Ben had to give you his lock. Uh, and obviously, Jamie said he liked what he got, but it's not there anymore. You have a stay away uh, for the for the first game, right? The the premium game here, Miami versus Florida. Florida minus seven. Uh, that's a seven o'clock kickoff on the East coast. Ben, why are you staying away from this game? And is there anything you like actually in this game? Oh, cause I, nobody at all has any idea what the Miami hurricanes are. We have no clue. I mean, this, we, you, you had significant, uh, um, uh, loss on the defensive side of the football. Joe Jackson and Gerald Willis, your two most successful pass rushers from last year are gone. And all of a sudden you lose in the secondary Sheldrick Redwine. You lose, Jay, um, uh, Jackson, the, the other safety, you lose uh, Michael Jackson, the corner. You use significant loss on the defense. Manny Diaz, obviously, uh, author of the turnover chain, defensive coordinator there for years. He's had to uh, install significant transfers on both sides of the football, but especially on the defensive side of the ball. You had Trevon Hill from Virginia Tech, Chagosia Naruka out of, out of UCLA. They also had another UCLA transfer, Jalen Phillips. He's not even going to be available for this game. So now you have a weakened front four for a team that's always been able to get good pressure and good sacks under Diaz. And then turnover chain, it's been a ton of interceptions, and you've got all but one new starter in the secondary. So you don't know what the, de- the defense is going to be. You want to believe in Manny Diaz, but there's nothing really proven here besides the linebacker core. And then on the offensive side of the ball, this was a two-man race for quarterback that was run by a third guy. I mean, Nikosi Perry and Tay Martell were the, were the two guys meant to win this job, and neither one of them could be a redshirt freshman in Jaron Williams. Now, Williams, okay, he's looked great in camp. He's a dual-threat guy. He's probably going to be inconvenient for Florida. They have no film on him. They don't know what exactly he's going to be good at. But this is a huge first stage for him going against a, a fierce defense there for the Gators. And he's he, we, we've lost uh, Amon Richards last year. We replaced K.J. Osborne, another transfer out of Buffalo. Offensive line returned only, I believe, two starters off of last year. There's so many new pieces and a new head coach. So I have no clue what Miami is. If I'm taking anything, it's Florida with seven. But I don't 
love uh, giving the floor, uh, the Gators more than a touchdown against the defense that's been as perennially good as the Hurricanes because I'm not positive Felipe Franks is, you know, this is a kid who got benched in Week 10 last year, and we're kind of selling him up as much improved. I'll believe it when I see it. So because the Hurricanes are so unknown, I really don't want to touch this line until I get a better feel for who they are as a team in 2019. All right, you heard it. Ben said stay away. Jamie, is there anything in this matchup that you like? <sighs> Not really, but I did force myself into a first half under on this game because, I don't know, I hate myself and I, I want to get hurt again. Uh, my, my, <laughs> look, you, you got the red shirt freshman quarterback on one side, Felipe Franks, who, again, I don't believe in. I'll Again, let him prove me wrong. Uh, I'd be more than happy to say I was wrong if he comes out and has a really strong season. I think there's going to be a lot of inconsistency early in this game. A lot of offenses kind of feeling things out and trying to get a, a gauge on this game. So I, I'm seeing lines there at 23 and a half. I got the under on that in the first half. Uh, and then I can just stop watching this game. Yeah, you you like it. One under, one over. Uh, not a surprise that the Pac-12 game is the over that you, that you like. Uh, what we did here is we're getting into some win totals. Uh, Jamie put together a list of some of the some of the bigger name teams that people like to gamble on every single year. These are teams with big fan bases that are desperately waiting for an opportunity to go over under on these win totals. Uh, we are going to start off with uh, Alabama, whose over under is 11, guys. Uh, not a big Healthy. surprise here. Not, not a big surprise here because it's Nick Saban and Alabama. Ben, if you had to choose one way or the other, which way are you going on this? Right. So it's interesting because when it comes to betting these huge lines, right, you have to understand what you're betting when, when you're betting in a, an 11 win to- total line, right? So what we're essentially saying is if you've taken the over on Alabama, you're locking in Alabama to make the playoffs because they're winning 12 games and 12 games means they're undefeated in the regular season. Even if they lose the SEC championship, they're 12 and one, they're probably going to make the playoff. If you're betting the under, then you're taking a potential two loss team for the Crimson Tide in the regular season. That's a potential to miss the SEC championship. That's missing the playoffs. And so I don't love either direction on this line. If I want to take anything, it's taking over. Alabama does have a tough schedule in terms of their catching LSU, Auburn, and Texas A&M, obviously missing Georgia as well. But those, I think, are the uh, second, third, and fourth best teams in the SEC. So it's not an easy schedule by any means. SEC is always tricky. But it's Alabama. It's to it's it's Nick Saban. It's to you. Never want to go under. your you're projecting ten wins. What I would say is, if you want action on this line. Don't take it on the win total. Take it on Alabama making or missing the playoff. You'll get significantly better value. Alabama missing the playoff is plus 200. So if you want to go under 11 wins, just go straight to the playoff for upright in the future and take much, much, much better value for that bet. Could not possibly agree more. I, I, that is, that's the bet right now. Like If you look at you – know, let's say you're, you're betting on an offshore book right now. If you're betting on an offshore book right now, look at a place like Bovada. Right now, the under on 11 wins is plus 135. Just take the, and the playoffs is plus 235 to not make it. Just take the much better, yeah, take money. the much better odds on that. Uh, this line ha- did open up at a lot of places like 11 and a half, basically daring you to come in and put money that they're going to go undefeated in the regular season. I don't have them making the playoff this year. So if I had to pick one at 11, that's tough because I think they can still, that, I just, I don't, I don't know. They go on the road. At AM, they're on the road at Auburn. They have the LSU home game. They have a tough schedule of the last couple, as they always said to do, in the back couple months of the season. I'm just not sure. I mean, Tua is already a little bit banged up. I'm just, I'm not so sure everything is going to break Alabama's way this year. Unfortunately, you always know the committee's going to favor them. They're going to win every tiebreaker for a playoff spot if they possibly get one. But 
I'm, I'm not convinced that this is going to be their year back in there. Dang, Jamie with the hot take, Alabama not in the playoffs. So you have Georgia making it from the SEC yeah, or who do you or do you, Okay. All right. That's 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 the only other available option pretty much, but uh interesting. I guess uh beware Crimson Tide. We're probably going to get a lot of hate for that one. Uh next one, Ohio State. Obviously a new a new era in Ohio State without Urban Meyer, but a lot to be excited about for this team. Jamie, I'll go to you first here. The over-under is 10. Where do you feel comfortable with this football team? Well, I don't really feel comfortable with this football team yet. I'm going to take the under here. I, I, I think the, the Urban Meyer not being there anymore, I think, will be a bigger impact in years two, three, four, five, as we start to talk about his players graduating from the program and leaving for the NFL and et cetera. But I do think it is a factor that we have to consider. I, I just think, yeah, I don't know if Justin Fields is going to be I mean, he's not Dwayne Haskins, but I don't know if he's going to be amazing or not. I don't know what Ryan Day's deal is for sure yet. You're asking them to win a lot of games. I have Michigan winning the conference. So I, I just – to me, there are a lot more question marks to say this team is going to def- – because if, if I'm going to bet it in over at 10, I'm thinking they're going to win 11. I don't want my money back. That, that's a waste of time for me. You just bet individual games through mm-hmm. – bet swing games through the year if you're going to do that. I cannot see a path where Ohio State wins 11-plus games this year. Ben, uh, are you in agreement with Jamie here? Do you see uh, potentially, we'll talk about Michigan Nets, but what are your thoughts on Ohio State? Yeah, this is a strong fade situation, and, and, and it, it boils <laughs> down. It, this is, but this is, this is, you know, this is easy science. You got a first year quarterback, got a first year offensive, uh, new head coach, and you got a first year coordinator on the defense as well. They've changed their defensive scheme and their approach there. This is, this is, this is all fade. This screams fade. This is get the heck out of here. We're going under on this, especially when you consider the fact that you at at certain books can grab ten point five. As Jamie said, at ten, you know you're 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 getting your money back on a ten win season. Ten point five, you're getting that you're you're actually cashing in on the bet if it's a ten win season, and that's what we're looking at probably for Ohio State. I agree. I think that Michigan has a good chance to win at least the big game this year. I don't like Michigan either. I think the Big Ten is a complete mess this season. Wouldn't be surprised to see three teams all with two losses, all against one another, with absolutely no clarity on who the best team is, and yet another season without a Big Ten team in the playoff if it's going to be a team it'll be ohio state but michigan state is a tough out this year and and let's not forget nebraska took them the distance purdue took them more than the distance they missed them this year maryland took them the distance and they they get a, a tough a penn state team late in the year as well with a really really good defense penn state has come inches away from being ohio state in each of the past two years that's going to be a very very serious game for james franklin for that program especially if penn state is struggling a little bit, which is what I anticipate. And so Ohio State, I'm under, especially if you can get it at 10.5. That's a strong bet. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting with the Urban Meyer. I- I'm with Jamie. I think this year they still hang in there, and and they'll be a very. But I think in years two and three and four, you're going to see a significant difference because Urban Meyer uh, is a hell of a coach, and he'll probably be at USC or Notre Dame by that time. Uh, Michigan, the next over under here, Jamie. You have them uh, winning the Big Ten East. Ben, what are your thoughts on Michigan? Their over-under is nine and a half. How are you leaning here? 
Yeah, so it, it, right, it comes down to if you feel strongly about Ohio State under 10.5, then you probably feel strongly about Michigan above 9.5, right? These, these kind of are, have to be similar situations in terms of their relative play against each other, obviously circling that last game. The thing about Michigan is the returning talent. This is a team that had 15 players on the Senior Bowl watch list that was released by Jim Nagy in the Senior Bowl earlier this week. So the, the upperclassman talent is unbelievable. Two areas in which it really sticks out on the offensive line, Michael Nguenu, Sean McKeon, and then... And finally, Ben Bredesen, uh, excuse me, and John Runyon as well. So we have uh, three tackles and then the starting tight end, all of whom are going to be uh, seniors are going to be rising seniors who've been multi-year starters. And then in the secondary, we put out Laver Hill, Josh Metellus, and even players like Tyree Kinnell. These are all seniors who have been rising now for multiple seasons. Kaliki Hudson is another one who plays that linebacker safety role. A ton of returning talent for Michigan. If there's going to be a season for Michigan to actually you know, deliver on some John Harbaugh promises, it's going to be this one. Ohio State is slightly weaker than they have been in years past. Uh, a team returns a ton of talent. The big game to watch out for, in my opinion, is, is is before they get the Ohio State game, they're going to catch Michigan State. Michigan yeah. State looks really, really strong on paper this year. The defensive line is tremendous. They probably have as good of a defense as Michigan does. And so it becomes a question of which offense do you like better, D'Antoni with Lewerke or with what Harbaugh's giving you with Shea Patterson. The difference between Lewerke and Patterson may be enough to prefer Michigan State, depending on where we are in that season. So Michigan State is, 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 a, is a team to worry about, especially in that game that it comes against Michigan, that interstate rivalry. Also, they catch Notre Dame as well. So the schedule is what really turns me off from Michigan. But if I'm going anywhere, it'll be over 9.5. Jamie, you have Michigan winning the Big Ten East. Uh, I just did my picks, and I have Michigan State. And and hearing Ben talk about them, I'm leaning that way. But that over-under is 9.5. Is this the year finally Harbaugh kind of gets to the point at which everybody's expectations have been for him, and that is to win the Big Ten East? Well, it, it better be. I mean, he's he's running out of time. As, as good as that program is yep. just in relativity – doesn't matter. Like we're not, uh, Michigan's not operating in a vacuum right now. Michigan's operating under Michigan and Harbaugh expectations. Look, their schedule is brutal. Again, they have the at Wisconsin, you know, the Michigan State at Penn State. They have Notre Dame at home, Ohio State at home. It's going to be a tough schedule for them. But I think this is going to be a really exciting team as long as Josh Gaddis is still calling the plays when the ranked teams start coming to town, <laughs> which again is no guarantee. Yeah. And, and I've heard this talked about before. Yeah. They have. Army coming in in week two, if Army holds them to like 10 possessions, I mean, they're going to win that game. But if they hold them to like 10 possessions, do do people start to panic? Does Harbaugh take back the play calling duties? Because this is a team that almost decided they never wanted to throw on first down almost ever. And we we need to kind of get this offense into the college football 21st century here. But I think they will. uh, I really am high on this team this year. Michigan State's going to be a tough game. That might be the toughest game for them on their schedule. And that's been an issue for Harbaugh as well. But I actually think that Michigan State game might be harder for them than Ohio State. I'm not as high on the Buckeyes this year. All right. Uh, Listen, we are moving on to the team that that Jamie has making it to the Final Four. That is the Georgia Bulldogs. They're over under 10.5, right behind Alabama's 11. So, Jamie, I got to think if you assume that Georgia is going to the playoff, you have them winning 11 games. So am I correct here, assuming that you are taking the over? Yes, definitely taking the over here. Uh, Look, I... I'm a big fan of this team. I, I think this is this is finally going to be the year that they can sustain these expectations from very beginning to very end. Yeah, go ahead, Ben. What are your thoughts on on Georgia and the over under at ten and a half? Right. So, firstly, you circle the week four game against Notre Dame. 
And you call yep. this win and get into the playoffs in nine weeks. Because this is basically what it is. is a Notre Dame <laughs> has one and a half, maybe, potential losses on their schedule. The over for Notre Dame, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later, is a bet that I really like. This Georgia game now in Georgia, that's that's the big one. If Georgia wins this, then you're looking at a relatively soft SEC East schedule. I mean, you're, you're catching Texas A&M and Florida. Those are the two big ones that you have to worry about. A&M is a, is a much better team, I think, this year than people realize. Florida, I don't think, is going to be as big of a problem. So I circle that A&M game as the big one. When we talk about Georgia here at 10.5, you're predicting a one-loss season. And with Alabama having, like you said, a tough slate, potentially being a one-loss team in the regular season, it is imperative for Georgia's playoff hopes when they get to that SEC championship to come in with one loss or less. And so you should expect this to be a highly motivated team by the end of the the season, especially if Alabama is able to catch one of those losses, because it gives Georgia a very wide window into the college football playoff. It obviously has to go through the SEC championship game, which has not been great for Georgia in the past, but it gives them the window. And so I do think that this team is going to be over 10.5 wins. It's not a total that I love. I'm generally trying to stay away from SEC win totals. Uh, It's such a tough conference with so many rising teams, you know, because I'm not even talking about teams like Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Tennessee all of whom I think are feisty. You know what I mean? They're not going to go down yeah. without fights. And so I'm, I'm staying away from a lot of these SEC win totals, but I would probably fall over Georgia if I had to go there. All right, Jamie, you got internet back? Yeah, I mean, these uh, when we talk about all these totals with the best teams, because we know these are the most popular teams, teams that take usually the most bets uh, at the books, you're not going to get a ton of value here. The books are very, very careful with how they manipulate these lines for the top teams because they know – they're going to be dealing with a lot of money, and they obviously want to get money on both sides here. They, they get Notre Dame. Georgia gets Notre Dame and A and M at home, at least. Uh, you know those aren't those aren't true road games, so I give them a little bit of credit there. I know I'm not, I know Florida's ranked where they are right now. I'm not that high on Florida. I, I think they're they're a good, not a great team. I don't think they're going to trip up these Agreed. these top teams in the SEC. You know the Auburn road game is always something you have to worry about. And look, if they have to. You have to come in with, like Ben said, with one loss or less in the SEC championship game because I don't even think a two loss and a win there is going to be enough to do it this year. I really don't. All right. The top uh, of the group that we have here, and I would assume that this is the biggest win total, um, the highest win total in Vegas right now. That is Clemson's over under at 11 and a half. Jamie, are you going over under on Clemson? What are your thoughts here? I don't want to deal with this. I think Clemson goes undefeated <laughs> in the regular season, but do I want to actually bet money that on, on something that they never get tripped up at all? Like I, I hate betting on teams to go undefeated. I, I hate not having that wiggle room at all. Uh, and, and right now I think it's – I have to go take a look. at. You're not even getting that great of odds, uh, not that great of juice on it. And so let me see what it ends up being right now. Over juice I have is minus 120. Under I have is plus 100 according to Action Network. Yeah, so. it's, it's 115 on Movada. Like I just – why bother? Just sit and I'll go to yeah. dinner or something. Absolutely. <laughs> I, no, I, I firmly agree. Like, don't do this. You're, you're, you are, there is no hedge here. There's no 11, you know, 11 flat like you're getting with Alabama. You're getting with Georgia at a couple places. This is 11.5. This is, hey, if you think this team is going to go through and not drop a single stupid, wasteful, dumb mistake pit in 2017 <laughs> game, then sure, give us your money. This is not, this is not. Good betting process says if a line is, you know, undefeated or not, you just avoid it. it it's, and, and like, I'd love to tell you to go under on it because, logically Clemson's going to drop one, but also the ACC sucks and Clemson's great. So like, I just, this is such a stay away situation for me. 
yeah, you're, this is, uh, this is the type of scenario where neither, neither side sounds very good. Cause you can talk your, you could talk your way out of, uh, out of both sides. And the, the next team we're going to talk about, uh, please be very, very nice and know that, you know, I, I am in control of this. So be careful what you say. Uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, uh, they're over under right now is eight and a half. Uh, Ben, I'll go to you first here. Where are you leaning on Nebraska over under? Uh, so I'll, I'll say two things on this. Number one, and this is the good news, the, the public is probably high enough on Nebraska and, and on Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez, Dark Horse Heisman candidate, Big Ten West, it's wide open, yada, 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 that you can see this line move up. And I think there's been juice on it so far in terms of movement. Let's see, Nebraska nope, opened at 8.5 and we've held steady at 8.5. If you want to sit on this and wait until 9, because the public believes that much in Nebraska, that's not a bad strategy. I would not be surprised to see it move. That's the good news. The bad news, definitely wait to do that and then hit the under. All right? And even you could take the <laughs> under at 8.5 if you want. But if you get it at 9, you're hedging that bet pretty nicely. And like I said, the Big Ten West absolutely is weak. I acknowledge that. Nebraska is catching Ohio State and Purdue on the outside, which is a very inconvenient uh, set to have to deal with. We shouldn't sleep on the fact that they're going to play a decent Colorado team in Week 2 yet again. Colorado can score points on you. I know it's the first year for them as well. But it's not, it's not an easy setup for Nebraska in terms of the games that they drew. Finally, you have a team that lost a significant number of starters on an already poor defense last year. You have a quarterback, Adrian Martinez, who wasn't able to stay 100% healthy all last season, still playing behind a bad offensive line. This is all gas. It's all Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez gas. There's no reason to believe that Nebraska is going to make that big of a jump in year two. See if you can hold out till nine, but under 8.5 is not a bad bet. Jamie, are you going to say uh, mean things as well, or what are your thoughts on Nebraska? Not not, not mean things per se, just that I, I agree with Ben. Uh, I, I think this team is definitely being gassed up by public by the public, and I think that's the biggest reason why we've seen books not want to move off that eight and a half line. I I, I was listening to uh, the Action Network podcast, and the, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but the guy that does books for Caesars, their number was not eight and a half. That's not what their their. Uh, I think their actual formula number came in under eight. But based on where the other books are, they decided eight and a half is the best number they could put up there to get bets on both sides. With the over still being juiced a little bit more, I think this is a seven or eight win team. Uh, I'm worried about that Purdue game. I don't think they beat Ohio State. I think they. It's well within the realm of possibility they lose three of their final four games on the schedule. Quarterback play still a question mark. I think they take a step forward. I think this is a seven. Maybe they could surprise and be an eight-win team. But I think we're talking anything more than that is just we're a couple years too early. Yeah, we're uh, you're both wrong. Nebraska wins nine games. And, uh, and uh, I can't wait to pull the receipts on this one. Uh, I'll be looking forward to that greatly. Uh, listen, Notre Dame, the next team we're going to talk about, is one of the teams that I feel like everybody bets on people that aren't people that aren't because you either love or you hate Notre Dame and they're over under this year is nine we kind of alluded to their schedule a little bit earlier Ben what are your what are your thoughts on Notre Dame and and are you going over or under yeah so Notre Dame is a team that I I do have money on there over as of right now and simply I was able to grab it at 8.5 uh now it's at a true nine which that 8.5 get was big for me and like I said Notre Dame schedule on paper, you know, scheduling the out-of-conference games, trying to make sure they look strong enough for the playoffs. Yeah, they've got some names, but this is going to be another down year for Virginia Tech, and they catch them in the middle of the season. It's not going to be a good year for USC either. They catch them in the middle of the season. It's probably going to be one of David Shaw's worst years at Stanford, and they catch Stanford as the final game of the year. You're looking at the Georgia game in week three, and the the Michigan game even maybe then again later in week eight, but 
Notre Dame, Michigan on paper. Right now, I'm taking Notre Dame, and I think that the the underappreciation for Ian Book, who I also have Dark Horse Heisman flyer on, and, and what he's able to do as a dual threat quarterback, probably one of the better quarterbacks that we've seen for the Brian Kelly offense in the past few years, and then a defense that. While, yes, it lost some talent last year, the front four is out of this world with upperclassmen who are talented. They have multiple good players, again, at the linebacker and in the secondary as well with Alohi Gilman, Jalen Elliott, Troy Pride, Asma Bilal. They have guys who can cover. So you should expect a strong defense yet again. Ian Book is, is like I said, a, a better passing threat than they've had in recent years while still keeping the run aspect there. And then it, it, it's a weak Stanford. It's a weak USC. It's a weak Virginia Tech. The only way this team is getting to – nine wins and again i have an 8.5 but if we're looking at nine is if they drop michigan drop georgia and then drop a dumb one against potentially virginia or one of the teams that i mentioned who looks stronger than i think they will be so this is a team that's schedule wise built to win more than nine and i think talent wise built to win significantly more than nine as well jamie your thoughts here on notre dame you saw ben obviously going over here are you in agreement i I am i can't find the third loss on their schedule i mean i I, I stared at it I have them with losses at Michigan and at Georgia, but again, they're going to be in those games. Those are not guaranteed losses. They're not going to be double-digit underdogs, but I can't find that third loss. And look, for this Notre Dame team, they're going to even have a hard time making the playoff with one loss with their schedule. Like Them playing the ACC is doing them no favors. They didn't know when they scheduled this USC game that USC would be a tire fire like it is right now. Uh, relative for <laughs> USC standards, it is. Uh, Stanford, they're ranked now. I don't think they're going to be ranked by the time we get to that final game of the season. I just, mm-hmm. to me, I just cannot possibly see a third loss anywhere. And I think there's a much better chance that they steal one of those two road games than they just drop a, a head scratcher in one of these other places. So if you could find a book that has eight and a half, I mean, you know, bet your life savings on it. But even at nine, I like it. Even with the, I think I have it minus 125 on Bovada. I'm assuming it's going to be juiced to the over pretty much wherever you go. Bet your life savings. Always good advice here on the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Uh, the Big 12, we're getting into two of No, please add him. Please add him. Uh, guys, we're going to get into two Big 12 teams and then end with an SEC team. Oklahoma. The over-under, 10.5 here. Does Lincoln Riley continue his magic uh, and and potentially put a team in the playoff this year from the Big 12? Ben, I'll go to you first. Yeah, I mean, I'm at a similar spot as I am with, with the Alabama line in the sense that why bet this when you could bet the playoff line, which is to say if you're looking at Oklahoma as a potential team to be over, and honestly, I am. I'm not as impressed with Texas as other people are, and then subsequently the rest of the Big 12 is a total mess of a nonsense. But so you, you, this Oklahoma team, if you think it's over, which there's been sharp action on the over, and I also lean there as well, we're talking about at worst a one-loss team heading into a Big 12 championship game very likely against Texas. And honestly, if this Oklahoma team has one loss, it was probably against Texas, so we're looking for revenge now in the redux of the Red River rivalry. You, you're looking at minus 130 if you're going over 10.5. If you're looking at pure playoff odds for Oklahoma, you can get them at plus 115. So it's a significantly more valuable bet to come in betting for Oklahoma as a one-loss conference championship making the playoffs versus a 11-1 win team that's then playing the conference championship game. Basically, you're betting Oklahoma winning the conference championship game without looking at the roster, so there's risk built in. But that's the approach that I would take if I were betting this line. Jamie, over, under on Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, I, if I had gunned in my head, it's over, but I, I'm with Ben here. Bovada is even better value, plus 230 
to make the 14 playoff. I mean, I'm taking that in a heartbeat over minus 115 to take the over on, on, on 10 and a half here. Again, I, I can't see how they have two losses. I'm not a huge fan of – or at least I'm not as big of a fan of Texas as a lot of places are. So if they do play them twice, they're not beating Oklahoma twice. I, I just cannot possibly see that happening. Go go with the playoff bet. I know it – look, you're, you're going to get you're gonna get paid at the same amount of time. You're not going to wait any longer on the playoff bet. And to me, unless you really think for some reason – with these big teams that you're going to, these teams are going to go way under a lot of times it's just going to be much better off just to take the playoff odds. All right. Playoff odds. You guys both alluded to the fact that you are not as high on Texas as everybody else is, uh, or at least as the public is their over under right now is nine. Jamie, I'll go to you first. Do you like Texas over under? I assume it might be under here. Yeah. I, I like the, uh, I like the under here. Uh, I'm just, I, I think LSU is going to win that game on the seventh. Um, I, I, I don't think – I just I, – I, they, they have a tougher schedule. I'm just not buying into it. Maybe this is my own bias from just being so sick of hearing about like Longhorns Nation and Texas is back and Texas this. How come? Yeah, I just – I can't <laughs> – I, I can't buy into it. I, I think this is probably an eight-win team. Maybe they're a nine-win team, but I think this is probably eight or nine-win team. I don't think they're double digits, and I just don't feel comfortable – I don't feel comfortable basically saying if to win my bet, I'm going to have to get to double digits. I just don't like it. Ben, what are your thoughts here on Texas? Are you in agreement with Jamie? You're, you're, uh, you on the under here? No, I think we disagree on this one. Uh, Big 12 is Ooh, two horse okay. race. Yeah, no, Big 12 is two horse race. It's Texas and Oklahoma. There's really nothing else going on for me. We've got new coach in, in West Virginia, new head coach in Kansas, new head coach in Kansas State, new head coach in Texas Tech. So now we have, uh, uh, you know, these are, these are again, immediate fades Baylor is a team that has some offensive talent but the defensive recruiting still is not there for them Iowa State has to do some uh, some significant rehashing of their players some significant reloading of some lost seniors they'll probably be spunky they're probably the third best team again in the Big 12 but Iowa State is not matching the talent athletically that Texas and Oklahoma are recruiting and then I want to like TCU but somebody's got to freaking play quarterback for this football team you can't just go out there with 21 <laughs> kids so right now to me Texas Oklahoma is, is a is a it's a two-horse race for the Big 12. I think it's a loss to LSU. I also think it's a loss to Oklahoma. Yeah, that puts me at 10 wins. It's similar to Notre Dame. I struggle to find the third. I know the Big 12 is historically, you know, Oklahoma State wins an annoying one. Kansas State wins an annoying one. And so I'm, I'm, I'm worried about it. I'm definitely fearful. Texas does have to travel to Ames, and that does freak me out a little bit, that Iowa State game. But I don't see – I see so much uncertainty and so much tumult in these other teams that Texas, even if things get sloppy in the first half of the season, remember the Big 12, it's the two best teams go play in the conference championship game. If they lose that Oklahoma game, they're going to be staring down the barrel of, listen, if we're able to wrap this up as a two-loss team, even a three-loss team getting your money back, we're going to be able to go play in the Big 12 championship. This is going to be a highly motivated team with a window to go get to a championship game to spoil Oklahoma's playoff hopes. So I think Texas, even though, yeah, like Jamie said, I'm not as high on them as other people seem to be, I would go over on the nine-win total. All right, guys. The last over-under we have here, SEC, LSU, over-under right now is nine wins. Ben, I'll go to you first. You thinking that in Baton Rouge they're going over nine, or are you going under here? Yeah, once again, the law of just, you know, stay God's name away from SEC, especially when you have an out-of-conference <laughs> game against Texas. Like, I just don't want to touch it, right? There's 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 too much uncertainty in terms of how good 
some of these SEC teams are going to be, how difficult it will be. And then you also have to remember, you know, because it's the SEC, you could very quickly be eliminated from significant championship and playoff contention within like the first half of the season. All it takes is like, yeah. you know, drop one to Texas, drop one to Florida. All of a sudden you're a two-loss team game making it to the SEC championship game. It's not going to happen. The, 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 the conference is too good. The divisions are too good. Accordingly, it's scary to bet the over on these middling SEC teams. It worries me too much. LSU's got a really, really tough schedule. And, yeah, I love the defense. I get it that Joe Burrow is the best quarterback they've had there in a few years. Ed Orgeron, obviously a very likable head coach. There's just too many good, physical, difficult games in a row for me to feel comfortable taking the over on this. I would avoid it at all costs. I don't want to touch it. But if I'm taking anything, it's probably the under. Jamie, do you believe in Coach O? You going over under here? But push. I know I can't do that, but nah. I have to have them down for nine. <laughs> Look, they have this absolutely brutal stretch from mid-October to early November where they're home against Florida, they're at Mississippi State, home against Auburn, and at Alabama. Nightmare. I mean, they have five yeah, games this great. year that are true, I think, true toss-ups. Well, they'll be within a few points of what of what the home spread will be. I just – I don't – I don't feel comfortable with anything about this. I put them on the list because I think we have to talk about them because of just their national prominence. But I, I hate everything about this. There's not even a side bet I like on LSU. There's just, this is a complete stay away. Don't bet on the SEC teams. That's what I've learned throughout this process. Mm-hmm. Is uh, don't, don't too bet much. on the top team. Like you just, there's never any value. The, rea- the the money is made typically unless there's a mistake. The money is typically made on the teams that are not usually ranked in the top five or 10 in terms of just biggest fan bases, because they're always going to mess with the numbers. Uh, On that note, Jamie, we just went through these 10 teams. Are there any other win totals that you like right now in Vegas that you want to discuss? There are a couple I like. One of them, I like the Washington under nine and a half. Mm -hmm. That defense has been decimated. I mean, I I believe they have the, the lowest returning production on that side of the ball of any team in the FBS. Uh, they're asking a lot for that team to go get double-digit wins again this season. I, I'm just – I would bet if, – if you could find that number, that number was at 10 at some point in a lot of places. I doubt we're ever getting back there, but I would love the under at 10. Uh, but I've taken this at, right now at 9.5 as well. Ben, your thoughts, Pac-12 guy. You're, you're, our, you're a Draft Network Pac-12 guy. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, no, I agree in terms of Washington as a team that I'm fading. It, it's down to 9.5 at places. I think 9 is a good value for it. Pac-12 win totals can be a nightmare because no conference is better at like losing to Arizona State and then beating Oregon. You know, there's like stupid sequences <laughs> of games. Right? So, and, you know, betting lines in the Pac-12 is a pretty successful market. Betting win totals, you know, this t- this is a cannibalizing conference. They tend to eat each other up and send nobody to the playoffs. So it's worrisome because I'd love to tell you I'm locked in on Washington under 9.5. and Utah at 9.5 sure they're gonna win the Pac-12 let's put it up there but the thing is like and 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 and, you know you always want to boil back down to you know we're we're betting we're betting against the best quarterback Washington's had playing since Jake Locker which I know it doesn't sound great but Jake Locker was a good college quarterback (laughs) Jacob Eason gives this team a fighting chance pretty much any game because you're gonna be able to play into shootouts they have multiple returning starters on the offensive line and Justice Osibi Nick Harris Trey Adams you have Aaron Fuller now stepping into the primary receiving role Hunter Bryant returning back from injury Salvin Ahmed is a true 4-3 player running back the offense now for Washington should be able to score points if Eason is what he was billed as when he transferred in from Georgia, X five star recruit. So yeah, defense. I mean, they've got like four returning starters. It's super dumb. But offensively, I think Washington takes a step forward. I don't know how big. 
And so it's a team that if I'm somewhere, I'm on the under. I'm typically, I'm staying away from a lot of Pac-12 bets this year, which is irregular for me in terms of this is a conference that I'm very familiar with. Only Pac-12 over-under that I significantly like, which is an absolute throwaway line. I would put money on this without breaking a sweat. If you can still find Cal at pl- over five and a half at six at, at Bovada right now, I think. If you can find Cal over five and a half, even over six, take it. Justin Wilcox, fantastic head coach. That team gets up for every big game that they have. Defense is absolutely suffocating. Offense returns a significant number of starters. Ooh, what are your thoughts on that one, Jamie? You like that over? That's an interesting one. I do like that over, actually. Okay. All right. Is there any 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 other ones you wanted to get into, Jamie? Last one, and, and it's more of like the, the line is valued properly, so this is more of I just wanted to bring it up, and I wish the total was three and a half, but <laughs> I am very much on the under on Kansas at three wins. Oh. Find, find me the conference right. win. Oh, just find man. it. Find, they're going to go over the conference. They'll start 2-0. and oh, That'll be great, and then they literally might not win again. So I, I, I am I am all on the the Kansas under. With all due respect to Les Miles, I'm on the the Kansas under. That is uh that is honestly I feel bad for Les Miles, but that uh, listen he got a lot of money to go coach in Kansas, and Lawrence is not a production factory for good football teams. Uh, the total is three and a half. Jamie, is that what you well, said? What's three? I wish it was three, three and a half. Oh. Oh, my. I wish if, it, if if somebody can find me a, a book somewhere that has a three and a half, let me know. I'll get in the car. But okay. at three, <laughs> what are you going to get the, the value for it? Like I, you don't go big because it's not going to be a ton of value there. But uh, three and a half, I would I would drive somewhere. I would drive to Jersey. Okay, you guys heard that. If you can find three and a half, please screenshot it, send it to the at TDN Fantasy account uh, at TDN Fantasy underscore, so that I can make sure that Jamie gets in a car and drives and takes Kansas under three and a half. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was lovely to have you on the podcast and talk college football. It's even better that we have college football officially starting this weekend. Please let everybody know how they can follow you on Twitter and read all of your excellent content. Yeah, so at Benjamin Solak is the spot. Uh, Solak is S-O-L-A-K. All the gambling content will be going up on the draftnetwork.com, but also on the socials. So make sure you're following at Draft Network LLC on Twitter and the Draft Network on Instagram. That's where you'll find a lot of my quick hitting stuff. You know, just just gentle recommendations, how to lose some money, all the good stuff. It's what makes the college football <laughs> season you know, such a wonderful time of the year yeah. is that we pay for it. Yes. That's right. That's what we all come together to all enjoy and commiserate together up uh, the ups and downs of, of college football and NFL season. Uh, thanks for that nice little plug there for the draft network. Make sure you guys are reading uh, everything that we do for the fantasy, all of our rankings as usual, the draftnetwork.com. Jamie, how can everybody follow you and, and see some of the lines and things that you're betting on and uh, tweet at you when they inevitably bet their light savings on something that they're going to be upset about? Absolutely. You can, you can finally find me on Twitter at Jamie Eisner, Instagram at Jay Eisner FFB. And once we get into the NFL season, you will have our locks of the week from, from myself and maybe from Jake Arians as well. If you've been following the show for a little bit, you know, that was a staple of our show last year. So that'll all be out there. Uh, we can all lose money together. Yeah. Although we, we didn't lose money last year. No, we all made right. money together. Yeah, we all – if you followed along last year, you made money. And uh, Ben might find himself back on the podcast uh, on Fridays talking college football lines if he if he starts heating up. Got to get – got to make sure everybody's out there making money together. Uh, guys, as usual, you can follow this podcast at TDN Fantasy underscore on Twitter. At Instagram, you can find us at TDN Fantasy. And like Ben said, thedraftnetwork.com. Make sure you're reading everything that everybody's putting out because there's a lot of good content as we head into week zero. Enjoy 
enjoy, everyone. We have college football. Thank God. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.